0: As we continue in this teaching series, as we look at uh, the crucifixion, my my really simple hope during this whole series is that our vision uh, for what happened at the cross will be expanded, that it will grow to where we know it now a little, we will grow it to know it a little bit more. There's been something that happened at the cross that never needs to be done again. This is why Jesus says, it is finished. And while what happens at the cross is a bit of a mystery, we can't fully grasp all of what is going on. During these few weeks, we want to just simply explore a couple various windows into what happened at the cross to gain a better understanding of the magnitude, the grandness of what happened with Jesus at the cross. The story of the crucifixion has been the centerpiece of Christian worship. It's the center of our faith and so it's under it's good for us to understand it even at a deeper level. A little bit more each week to get a different angle or different perspective of it. Using Jesus' words this morning we're going to take a look at one key understanding of what happened at the cross. Jesus describes his understanding of what is going to happen at the cross in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he says, For even the Son of Man, which is his declaration of himself, a title that he gives himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As a ransom for many. About 30 or so years later, the Apostle Paul would write to his friend, young friend Timothy in the book 1 Timothy chapter 2 and he echoes Jesus' words about this ransom. He says this in 1 Timothy, there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. So it's this impact or this word ransom that we're going to pay attention to This morning, that Jesus describes his understanding of the cross, and Paul echoes that, that Jesus, the Son of Man, gives his life as a ransom for many. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for the first hearers of that, and what does that mean for us? And before we jump into what I have to say about it, let me pause and let's say a prayer that God would teach us more than what we can know. So Father, Son, and Spirit, we ask you to be our teacher. That as we submit and surrender to your word, that you would teach us more than our minds can grapple with. uh, We would know you deeply. It's in your name we pray. Amen. The Greek word for the word ransom is a root word that would have been salvation or saved or redemption, redeem, all these words that we are fairly familiar with. But it would mean specifically a particular kind of salvation, a particular kind of redemption that really would carry this notion of it that it would be a loosening of chains, right? It, w- it, would, it would loosen those who are in captivity, The idea, the picture behind this word ransom was really this idea of a slave who was being set free from their captivity. The the chains that would bound them in slavery had been loosened by this ransom. So when the first century person would have heard Jesus or Paul use the term ransom, the thing they would have been thinking about is this slave who is being held by chains and those chains being loosened and set free, set off of them. And so they could be set free by a redemption or a redemption price. This is the ransom that Jesus was speaking of. And Paul and the first century hearers, when they would hear that word, they knew exactly the term, this marketplace term of being loosened or or set free by a price, by a price. So when Jesus hangs on a cross and says, it is finished, it means that the ransom has been paid and it never has to be paid again. It's finished. The captivity that we find ourselves in is done. The chains are loosened. You are free. This is why the cross of Jesus has been so powerful for people all through the ages. Because at the cross of Jesus, when he declares it, he declares that we are free. Set free by his ransom. So we no longer have to be in the grips of sin or shame, or of addictive behaviors, or of vanity, or of gluttony, or of lust, or of any of the other vices that can seek to destroy us. The price has been paid. The chains that have held us down have been loosened. We can be free, set free by the ransom. Now, unfortunately, people have heard the the term and the vocabulary of ransom and freedom and it's been used and it can cause people to press the metaphor too far and begin to ask questions that the scripture is not answering, it's never even meant to answer. So rather than go down any of those rabbit trails that are unhelpful and ultimately really harmful to us, I simply want us to pay attention to what we can know about the ransom that Christ paid for us that never has to be paid again because it is finished. In order to help us with that, there are six truths that I want us to wrestle with, hold on to. And so if you're a note taker, today's a great day for you. Six words that can teach us a little bit more of the magnitude of what happened with Jesus on the cross, that would lead us from captivity to a deep worship and adoration for our great God. So the first word, first word is the word release, release. Jesus understands the human condition that we are in bondage, that we are enslaved to sin, the sin that holds us, not just the things that we do, but we're actually enslaved, bound in bondage to sin itself to brokenness to rebellion we are broken people that we are sin or we have a captivity to sin itself not just what we do but we are held in bondage and captured and captured by it now most people agree with Jesus that we're something is wrong and that we are in bondage or we're not operating the way we ought to operate most people would agree with Jesus's declaration that there's something amiss in our life But many people disagree with Jesus with what needs that be done to set us free from this. Because many people in our day and many people throughout the ages have assumed that we can free ourselves from this bondage. Because if the problem is ignorance, we just don't understand our problem well enough, then the answer would be get more information. Go to the self-help book and go to the aisle and buy the more information and, and get more information. Understand our problem and fix our problem by more information. Learn as much as we can about our problem. Overcome it by knowledge or education and we can fix it. We can fix anything by education. Or if the problem is the governing authorities around us, then the solution was we need to elect the right person get the right people on the city council, get involved in political uh, uh, uprisings of sorts, and just kind of get the things working the way we think they need to work. Well, but if the problem isn't our knowledge or isn't just our, our governing authorities, maybe the problem is just our own limitations, that we think negatively about ourselves. So there's all kinds of new age strategies to free us from ourselves. The power of positive thinking, to just speak it into existence, to write up a little vision boards for us and just kind of think positive things and have crystals around us and have a good aura around us. But for Jesus, and his understanding of our situation goes much deeper than that. For our bondage is deeper than our own kind of abilities. We are enslaved by a whole web of masters, our own sinful nature our rebellious spirit within us, the unseen spiritual forces and darkness of our age. And there is no way to free ourselves from the bondage that we find ourselves. There's no way for us to loosen the chains of our captors. No education will do it. No political power will do it. No self-help techniques, no amount of crystals hanging from our rearview mirror will release us from the bondage that we find ourselves in. That's the human condition. But that's exactly where the goodness and the good news of the cross is. Because while our bondage is deeper than any human ability to save ourselves, Jesus breaks the chains, Jesus sets free. The ransom has been paid, we are now released. The chains are loosened from our captivity. And so now we can look at our sinful nature, the guilt and the shame and the unseen spiritual forces of darkness around us and we can look and declare that you are no longer my master. You have no claim over me. The chains have been loosened by Jesus at the cross. So now the question begs, still the remains, If we have been released, if the chains have been released and set loose, if we are no longer under the bondage of sin and our rebellious spirit and the demonic or dark forces around us, then why don't we live in the freedom that is offered to us in the cross? Why do we find ourselves still tripped up by sin over and over again? Why do those old vices still hold on to our own heart, the pride and the gluttony and the lust and the various other things? Why is it that we still live as if we are still bound by the captors when Jesus on the cross has set us free? Why is it that we are still living as if we are under captivity? Well, partly, partly because we have not yet fully embraced. That this is what it means to be saved. This is what it means for redemption. That we no longer have to be enslaved to the patterns of sin or this world anymore. And while we have been released, we need to choose to live a life of freedom. For many times we still choose captivity. We still choose the patterns of our own sinful nature. There's a road we must walk. While we've been loosened, the chains have been loosened, there's a road we need to walk. And it's usually not done in a flash of lightning, but it's a life of learning how to do new ways, uh, new patterns of life. And that takes time and it takes effort. Effort does not release you from captivity, but it is needed to live as a free person. Effort does not free you from captivity, but it is needed to live as a free person. To no longer live under the slave of captivity any longer. So how does that happen? How does this release of the chains actually happen by Jesus on the cross? And that's the second word I want to give you. Second truth that's tied to a word. And that's the word exchange. 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 Jesus releases us from our captivity by exchange. He says the son of man gave his life as a ransom for many. For me, the word for means instead of, in the place of, in exchange of for us. The imagery here is again this is this slave market where people are in chains and they're being sold. Bought and sold along the way. And Jesus comes along and doesn't just pay the monetary price. He doesn't just pay $1,000 or a million dollars or a billion dollars. He offers his life as the exchange. As the exchange. On the cross, Jesus exchanges his life for our freedom. The payment is made by his life on the cross. So how does this release from captivity happen? It happens by exchange. which leads me to the third truth, the third word. Voluntary. Voluntary. Jesus makes the greatest exchange of all voluntarily. Voluntarily. The Son of Man gave his life as a ransom for many. Gave his life. He didn't lose his life. It wasn't taken from him. It was his free choice to go to the cross. The ransom price was not wrestled from him, strong-armed away from him as he's gripping a hold of it for dear life. He gave it voluntarily, exchanged his life for us, for the freedom, for the release of captivity for us, voluntarily, he said. Let me bring you to Jesus' words in John chapter 10. He says it this way, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. Jesus on the cross is no helpless victim. He's not out of control. He's not out of his mind. He's not been thrown there against his will. He is in control of all that is happening. Nothing that is happening to him is happening outside of his own volition. He voluntarily lays down his life for us as a ransom in exchange for us to loosen the bonds of slavery and of captivity that has held us in our position. Sure, Judas hands him over to the authorities. You're right. And sure, the authorities do all that they can to destroy him, absolutely. And yes, Pilate refuses to do the right thing and risk his own job to do the right thing. Yeah, that's true. And yeah, there's a mob that's yelling for Barabbas and crucify Jesus. All that is true, but no one is taking Jesus' life. He's giving it. The exchange happens voluntarily, which makes the cross extraordinary. Extraordinary. And that leads me to the fourth word for you today. Costly. Costly. The ransom was not just a high monetary price. It wasn't just going to take all of his life savings. Jesus gave his life as a ransom. It's even deeper than just his life. Because a life would be costly enough, but Jesus became what he is not in order to set free those in captivity. In order to redeem, to rescue, to pay the ransom price, Jesus became what he is not in order to set us free. Listen to the words of 2 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul writes it this way God made him, this is Jesus. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, Jesus experiences all that he is not, namely sin and the judgment and the suffering that comes from it. And the cost of becoming sin, to lay aside his claim to deity, to empty himself fully, to experience the fullness of suffering and judgment. That is a high cost indeed. Not just his life, but he becomes what he is not and experiences the suffering and the judgment that goes along with it in exchanging his life for ours voluntarily. It is a costly ransom. But it's even deeper than that because it's not just a pouring out of my life, but it's the shedding of his blood for us. Again, now, 1 Peter, the apostle Peter writes it this way. You know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. That's that word there, redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Peter's saying it wasn't just gold or silver that paid the ransom. It was the precious blood of Christ, the lamb without defect. It's his blood that pays the ransom. No one has ever paid a higher ransom price than Jesus on the cross, becoming what he is not, emptying himself, pouring out his very blood, shedding his blood, giving voluntarily in exchange for us, the ransom, no one has ever paid a higher ransom than Jesus. But why would he do it? Why? Why would Jesus endure sin and shame and the scorn and the mockery and the judgment and all that goes along. Why would he endure the painful crucifixion on the cross? Why would Jesus pay such a high ransom? No other ransom has been as high as Jesus is. Why would Jesus empty himself and become what he is not in exchange voluntarily? Why would he do this? Simple. Profound. Unbelievably hard truth to understand. It's the word worth. Jesus thinks that the captives are worth it. That's why he does it. Now we can stop right there and go home because that's enough. Jesus is willing to endure the highest Ransom ever paid because he believes that those enslaved by these captors of sin and shame and guilt and all the vices around all the addictive behaviors he thinks, thinks were worth it. And anyone who understands their own depravity of sin and my own brokenness would agree and would say, I'm not worth it. I'm not worth it. I'm not worth the extreme self-sacrifice, self-emptying of the cross. Because even in my best days, I'm still full of greed and lust and envy and pride and gluttony and a whole host of other things. Even on my best days, I'm still a sinner in need of grace. I'm not. And any amount, even a mustard seed size of amount of honesty would have to admit that we are still trapped in our sin and our choices to sin. That we are still there. But the cross, the cross declares that God sees you differently than you see yourself. The cross declares that you are worth it. And while I may sit in my depravity the cross declares that Jesus sees me differently. He sees me as worthy. It's like we said last week. Now, it's not that Jesus is dismissing our sin as if it's not that big a deal. Kids will be kids just kind of sweeping under the rug and move on. No, our sin is a big deal. And my brokenness is a big deal. My choosing one or the other of the vices around me is still a big deal. It is a big deal. My brokenness is a big deal. It's just that my brokenness does not minimize my worth in the eyes of God. My brokenness does not minimize my worth because of Jesus on the cross. That defines my worth. Jesus was willing to empty himself, become what he is not, take upon himself the judgment and the shame to bestow dignity and honor and value over us. That's why. So when we see ourselves and the stain of sin that is in us and our situations, and then we look at the cross and the love for us that is poured out on the cross, the cost that was paid at the cross, rather than puffing us up with arrogance and look at how great we are, it reminds us of humility. For we know what we're made of, and that on our very best days, we're still sinners in need of grace. Apart from the cross, we're still in bondage. Can't free ourselves. No amount of education or power, knowledge or anything else or self-help will ever do anything. But at the cross, we are declared worthy and the highest ransom has been paid for us. Now that ought to well up in us extemporaneous worship. It just has come out of us. Gratitude and worship for the love of God as poured out on the cross. Which leads me to the sixth and the final truth to take hold of this morning. Sixth word for you this morning as we consider the cross. And that is the word ownership. Ownership. What Jesus redeems, he owns. I mean, that's the logical conclusion of this ransom vocabulary that we've been wrestling with today. That the person who pays the ransom has ownership rights. They own what they have paid for. We've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. We belong to him then. That's the ransom vocabulary. The Apostle Paul is helpful for us. Listen to 1 Corinthians. He says it this way. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God, You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. I am not my own. My life, right? My body, my decisions, my values belong to the living God. He has ownership rights over me, He gets to declare and decide what I do and where I go and where my value comes from because my life is no longer my life. So the life I live now is in response to knowing the one who has redeemed me, knowing who I am and to whom I belong. My life now is in response to my life being in ownership of Christ, that I belong to him. I belong to him because he has paid the ransom, the highest Cost of a ransom that has ever been paid. And it never has to be paid again. Jesus says, it's finished. I have exchanged and the highest cost, my life, becoming what I am not for you. To declare worth, dignity, and value. E. Stanley Jones was a missionary to India in the early, mid-1900s told a story once that I think kind of wraps up this whole understanding of what it looks like to have Jesus pay our ransom and what that looks like for us and what that means for us and what it captures in the cross. So I'm going to read to you the story that E. Stanley Jones had talked about, written about, and passed on From You got to remember now, this is an old story. So early, mid-1900s, right? Put yourself in that when we get there, when we get to the price, when we get to the price, okay? So he says this. A young boy built a sailboat. He spent days carving out wood and cutting and sewing cloth for sails. One day he took the boat to Central Park in New York to test it out on the lake. Having tied a string to the hull, the boy put the boat in the water and gave it a push. All of a sudden, a gust of wind came and caught the sail, more than the boy had bargained for, and he let go of the string, and the boat was blown out into the middle of the lake. He ran as fast as he could around the lake to catch the boat on the other side, but before he could get there, some bullies pulled it out of the water and ran away. Saddened, the young boy started home. Along the way, he happened by a pawn shop. Noticed the owner placing the boat in the window. The bullies had already pawned it. The boy ran into the store yelling, the boat in the window is mine. To which the owner replied, sorry kid, I hear lots of sad stories. But it can be yours if you pay for it. The price is $5. The young boy quickly ran home, gathered all his money, ran back to the pawn shop, went in, gave the owner the $5. With great joy, clutched the boat and as he walked out of the store he was heard to say little boat you are mine now for two reasons i made you and i bought you the son of man came to give his life as a ransom for many that's why the cross tugs on our soul so much that's why the cross gets at it get at us The way it does, because the cross, at the cross, Jesus, the Christ, the second person of the Trinity, says to you and to me, and to anyone who would come within its reach, he says, you are mine, for two reasons. Because I made you, and I bought you. Let me pray for you, for me. Jesus, we are amazed. We are humbled and we are in awe that you would see us as worthy of the highest ransom ever to be paid, your very life, to become for us that we might live with you. Open our hearts and our eyes and our minds to respond to you in extemporaneous worship, declaring your worth, your honor, your glory, for you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's in your name we pray, amen.